This morning, we're going to begin a new study. And this study is going to be called The Next Right Step. And we want to look into our lives as Christ followers of, of every day. You know, we all make decisions and we're all taking a step forward in something. And sometimes the enemy is wanting to paralyze those steps so that maybe we will freeze and not go anywhere or take the wrong step and be provoked maybe to go in a direction that would make physically or emotionally the most sense, but it was, certainly wouldn't be the plan God would have for us. And so we're going to take a, a journey through Hebrews chapter 11. Many have called this chapter in the Bible the, the Hall of Faith because of the Old Testament figures that are kind of brought to the witness stand to see what does faith look like when it's being exercised. So today we're going to learn not only what faith is, but in the weeks to come, watching people express this faith and take steps with God in faith. And I think you'll find it'll be very practical for us as each of us have to make decisions every single day. Sometimes those things are really big, but you know, I feel they're just real small, but nothing small in the kingdom of God, because if we're kingdom people, everything matters. Every, every interaction matters. And when I'm talking about this faith next right step journey, what does this mean? It's, it's the next conversation that you've prayerfully considered. It's do I do this, take this new job opportunity? Do I even pursue that? Do I invest this? Do I, how do I use my time? How, do I go over here? Do I sell my house? Do I try to buy another one? How do I handle myself physically even when it comes to, do I get the COVID vaccine? Do I not? What do I do? And we, I mean, every piece of your life, it matters. Every next right step matters. And so I want us to analyze this today and, and understand what is the faith that we're describing here. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of of things not seen. Faith is substance. Then this phrase, faith, is actually a noun, which means it's a thing. And in this thing, it has substance to it. Matter of fact, it is the very substance of what we are ultimately hoping for. Now, it is not a blind optimism or some hope-so concept where you really don't know and you're just kind of theoretically thinking it might be. It's not a feeling. Because we cannot trust our feelings. Our feelings are real, but don't trust them because they will guide you to make feeling-based decisions not based in truth. It's not even just an intellectual assent to some kind of ideology. And it's not believing in spite of evidence. No, this is not manufacturing some mythological concept. No, this is, we have evidence. And so there's a your faith is something that is then exercised with substance in anticipation of something hoped for. Now, obviously, if it's hoped for, you haven't seen it yet. It's out there, but you have nothing physical, tangible to grab hold of, of what's coming, other than what you can look at potentially in the past, or it'll be founded in truth. And that's where we're going with this, obviously, is hope that's invisible, not seen as yet. And you have this hope, but it's based on what? Now you just consider this. My hope is in Jesus Christ, whom I have never seen. My hope is in heaven, where I have never been. I don't know anybody that's been there and come back and can give testimony of it outside of what I see in Scripture. 
So I have no evidence of this other than that. I have no evidence of Christ, really, outside of the Scripture, other than, of course, there was a man that was given that name and that lived on this planet, and we can look through even the uh, secular records to know that someone was crucified by that name 2,000 years ago. So we can understand that from a secular perspective, and obviously it was a significant event what happened 2,000 years ago because the whole world went into chaos around it. However, to have the evidential structure that Jesus Christ is God, I don't know that outside of the Bible. And so to place my hope in anything going forward in the name of Christ, I would only know that from Scripture. We know this, right? Everybody agrees. I, would, I say everybody. I assume that we all agree to that in this room. But outside, you know, this is a very difficult subject. And that's what I want to investigate today because in the second half of this verse, it says that faith is not only the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. I exercised my faith. A moment ago, we all did. We exercised our faith a moment ago in our prayer. We went to the Lord of glory, to the throne of grace, believing that when we make a petition to him, he hears that and he will answer according to his will in Christ Jesus. We went to the throne asking for healing for someone who's sick because we have seen in Scripture where God is the healer. And He's even called by that name. We, we go to the Lord in prayer asking for provision and protection because we have the evidence of Scripture where people have asked for that and we saw God deliver the goods. So we're never left without evidence. On this side of the cross especially, we have the full evidence of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection so that we can plead with Him, understanding the victory that we have in Christ. What we're studying in Hebrews 11 are people that took the steps of faith forward for a hope and an anticipation of something not seen, and most did not ever realize it in their lifetime. To be in the presence of God, they would not know that till the sin debt was ultimately paid. And so we are getting to glimpse into some Old Testament heroes, as we would think of, because the faith journey that they went on it was not always the easy one. Matter of fact, the faith journey is usually not the easy one. Because people around don't understand. Why do we do what we do? If you're a person of faith, it often will contradict the way of the world, which will come into opposition. We face a nonstop opposition as a Christ follower, a person of faith in the Lord, and believing what the Word of God says, the world, the flat, your own flesh, and the devil will always come against that and will always lure away or provoke using physical things and emotions and feelings that, like I said, our feelings are real. But when you trust in those or you trust in the physical instead of that which you cannot see with the anticipation of what you can't see, that is where the enemy wants to always grab hold of our lives. When we live in a, as people of faith, we live, we minister, we sing, we pray, we give our resources, we invest our time, talents, and treasures in a kingdom that is yet to come. And we recognize as a Christ follower that we're living in that kingdom now in a spiritual sense, but the king is not here. It's not like I'm going to pack up tomorrow and go to Jerusalem and there's Jesus sitting on the throne. No, that day's coming, but that's not today. And so I'm living for a kingdom that's not yet. But it's here in the spiritual sense, but not in the physical sense. And so the investments in the life that you live is going to be ordered by a book because by faith you believe what this book has to say. 
This is the conviction, this word evidence of things not seen. The word evidence literally means conviction. Faith without action is an intellectual faith, but has no conviction, therefore there's no action. Which was why it's always a journey. It's a step of faith that we're going to take because you don't know what's next. I don't have the crystal ball of life either. But I'm going to trust God that as he is leading me according to his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, through the time we spend in prayer, that our Father in heaven is guiding our steps. We know this, to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. If we believe that to be so, we go to the Lord acknowledging him in all things. Why would we do that? By faith, I believe there is God. I believe there is a God who hears my prayers. I believe that as a son of God, I come in to his throne room boldly to the throne of grace that I may obtain grace and mercy in time of need. And then I can acknowledge him and he will then direct my path. So I don't have to blindly do this or some kind of hope so concept or just maybe well wishing that everything's going to work out okay. No, because what that will leave me is completely empty. Because you can never hang your hat on those kind of thought processes. Those are mythological concepts that when they don't come real or they don't come to fruition, what happens is then we believe our faith is a sham. And that's the big struggle of the day is, well, I tried faith. I tried church. I tried Jesus. I've tried these things. But it's a distortion of what Christianity really is about and what faith is about. See, the concept of Christianity that sells this prosperity stuff is if you'll, if you'll increase your faith and ask God for more, then you can ask God for more stuff and then God will deliver the goods. If God doesn't deliver you the goods, it's because your faith is too scrawny. So it's really your problem that God's not delivering the stuff. If you're not getting healed, it's because your faith is too thin. Well, now let's time out here. Let's go back into our Bible and look at the fact that you have an entire chapter of people who by faith took a step with God and most of them, their lives got wrecked. In the physical sense, it didn't all go well for them. They didn't all get rich. They didn't all have great health. No, most of them suffered at the hands of men because they were God followers. And so if we get this idea that everything's going to be rosy because we're a Christ follower, well, we have a distorted view of what faith is even about. And we've labeled it as something that it is this mechanism to get stuff from God when that is not what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for. I'm anticipating what God is doing according to Scripture because I have the evidence. This evidence brings about this conviction. You know, we'll study in detail some of these guys, but you think about Noah and the conviction he must have had. A man who has never seen rain and yet builds a boat? It took him 120 years to build that thing in a desert place with no support. All the world was coming against and mocking him for what he was doing. But he was the preacher of righteousness. At the end of the day, his, he and his family saved alive. We know that story. But you know what? It's not like Noah lived on forever and ever. No. Sin and calamity got into his family as well. And eventually Noah passes away. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're the only ones in an entire valley of people covered with humanity who bow their knees before this huge image that Nebuchadnezzar the king stood up. And out of conviction of God's word, there was no way they were going to bow their knee to that image. They're the only three in the entire valley that wouldn't. Now they get to see the victory in the moment God delivered them in that moment. But you know what? They still, they pass away. It's not as if everything, every time faith is then exercised, that all of it's just going to work out perfect. They're like, well, what's the point? See, that's the whole point. If you see the hope for the eternal kingdom, this world becomes just a vapor for us. Our time here is just a vapor. The impact and opportunities that we have as Christ followers to invest then in a kingdom yet to come. We're, instead of getting consumed with all that is in this short lifetime, no, our investment becomes for the eternal. And that's what these in Hebrews chapter 11 came to realize. What would be Satan's strategy? Obviously, if my entire faith construct comes from the scriptures, I'm going to attack that scripture like no other. So what does he do? Soon as Satan has the chance to interact with the first human being on this planet, what were the first words from Satan's mouth? Yea, hath God said? Here, let's go straight for the attack on the word of God, because if he can move mankind off of the belief of the word and the faith to follow God's word, what happens? Sin enters the world. The curse that comes from it, all the calamities that we now live under every single day of death and disease and destructions and all the junk that goes with it is the result of mankind not believing God's word and taking the next step in faith, believing what God said and instead believing the lie. So naturally, the enemy is going to come against. It worked once, it just keeps happening. It comes against, it comes against to believe the lie. Believe how I feel. Believe what I see. Believe all those things. Just not believing in the invisible things, and that is the kingdom yet to come, and God's, God's hand in that. You know, even when Satan had his opportunity with the Son of God, the Word of God himself, the Word of God incarnate, what did he do? Appeal in the same way he did with Eve. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He made the same appeal with Eve by distorting the words. What did he do with Jesus? The same. He made those same three appeals and throws the word of God into mix and puts a little twist on it to distort the word. Of course, Jesus, the Son of God, who is the living incarnate word of God, was not duped by these things. Instead, was all points tempted like we are yet without sin. The total refute Jesus used was the Word of God each time and standing firm in the Word itself. What's the other attack? If you go to the attack of the Word, then what, what do you do? Cause the doubt. So how does that work now? The Bible is only reliable in its original manuscripts. Well, who has those? Nobody. They don't exist. No one's toting around the tablets that the law was written on. No one's toting around the vellum scrolls. 
So if, if the Word of God's only reliable in the original languages, then none of us have a Bible we can rely on. So therefore, the Bible we must have must be full of contradictions, it must have problems in it, and we can't trust it. That would be the words the enemy would love to plant in your heart and mind to move you off Scripture because the power involved in believing the Word is so immense. It transforms your entire path going forward for all of eternity. Because if he can displace the word of God, then I really don't believe Jesus either because the only real evidence of Jesus is found in the scripture. And I'm certainly not going to believe in a kingdom yet to come when I don't even believe what I see here. And so now, how does Jesus interact with this? Don't lose perspective here that Jesus himself spoke to the Pharisees, the religious leaders in his own day, and told them, go search out the scriptures. Well, what is Jesus talking about? He told him, he said, you go search out the scriptures because in them you'll, have, you'll find eternal life. And they threw back, yeah, we have Moses and the prophets. Yeah, that was the whole point. So are they talking about that they actually have the tablets from Moses? And they actually have all the original writings from all the, all the prophets? No, they had copies of all of those things. And yet Jesus authoritatively would say that those copies that have been kept and handed down through the ages to what they now have in their hand. He said, you, he called it scripture. So if that is not scripture, then Jesus is a liar. And he's telling them to go research something that's completely unobtainable or is unreliable. And so the enemy wants to come and attack the Bible and say, it was written by sinful men, and you know what? You can't trust mankind, and it's full of contradictions. It's full of problems. It's all this and all that. Yeah, that would be the word that the devil wants to accomplish. Why? Because if he can move us off of the belief of the word of God, at the end of the day, your faith is, is worth nothing. Because we only know Jesus. We only know about the things to come. We only know how to take the next right step according to Scripture. Otherwise, it's all in the flesh. And you're all just, we all just would take steps of what we think or perceive to be the next right thing. And we'll miss it every time because we will measure on what we see or what we feel. And we will completely miss what God is doing. Because would any of us ever choose the hard path? Of course not. Unless you saw something eternal, you would never choose the hard path. I think about people today that it's not just missionaries and not people that sell all their stuff to move to other places in the world. Though that is an incredible faith journey. But no, it's the person that's sitting in a waiting room today waiting to hear the news from a doctor. But for hours they're pleading with God on behalf of someone else in faith. They're asking God to do something supernatural. Why would they do that? Because they believe God can do that. Why do they believe God can do that? Because the scripture bears the evidence that God hears their prayers and will answer according to his will in Christ Jesus. Does it assure that God will raise them up and make them healthy? No. Because God may work another miracle in that person's life. He may take them on to heaven. That's a miracle. God may not work another miracle in this life because he may say, no, my grace is sufficient for you like he did with the Apostle Paul. The greatest missionary probably in modern history that any of us would ever know is the Apostle Paul, who had some kind of an affliction in his body, prayed and asked God to take it from him three times, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. So it's not that God delivers the problem every time. He delivers in a way that we don't always understand. And we gain this understanding then when we go to the Scripture. 
Satan wants to attack the word and move us from this position of faith in the word of God because ultimately, what is Satan trying to do? If he moves you off of faith, you no longer take steps forward in faith. Instead, you are paralyzed then in fear. That is the objective. If he can simply paralyze you in the place of fear, you don't move. And the decisions then that we make will make fear-based decisions that certainly will not be healthy for anyone, us or anyone else included. Now, I'm not going to ask you today to raise your hand if you made a fear-based decision, but I know I have in my life where in a moment of faith, in a moment of crisis, that you make a decision based on fear. I don't want this to happen or I perceive this might happen and I don't want to do that. I don't like how that's going to feel. And every time that happens in my life, it never works out well. Because the thing that God was wanting me to do is take a step in the place of faith and recognizing that perfect love, as we sang about, perfect love cast out all fear. My heavenly Father, if He's guiding me to take this next step that's a hard one, that's going to be painful, or I perceive it to be, I have to trust that His hand is on me. And even if this next step takes my life, and my life, from my perspective, is cut short, I took the step of obedience and faith because that's what God said to do. I remember a, an illustration Elizabeth Elliot mentioned in one of her books as a metaphor to her that was helpful to me as well. She was describing how she worked for years translating the Word of God into another language, and that work was destroyed. By faith, she took the step to begin making this investment of time. Our, just the hard work of what that is. And all that work was destroyed. It can lead then to a very dark place because you feel like, did I miss what God said over here? Did I waste my life away? What happened? There's no way God would allow this to happen. This is his word in another language. Why would this happen? And a metaphor was shared with her that I find helpful as well, and that is the Lord talking to his disciples and told them all just to pick up a rock and carry a rock to the next spot. So they all gathered rocks, and it's a metaphor. It's not real. It's not in the Bible. Peter grabs a small stone and carries at a distance. And at the end, the Lord starts giving out bread and portions based on the size of the stone. Well, Peter had picked up a small rock, so he gets a small portion. Well, then the Lord said, everybody, we're going to journey on, pick up another rock. And Peter's looking at, dude, I'm going to cash in on this. So he picks up a big stone and lugs this thing all the way. They get to the end of the next leg of the journey, and the Lord says, cast it into the river. What? I carried this this whole way? Where, where's the payback? And the point was, take the next step. Quit measuring the payback. It's the step of obedience and faith because this is the word of the Lord. 
not based on what I'm going to get in return. And this is the distortion that we face as Christ followers is looking for the return. If I do this, if I serve this way, if I commit this time, if I give these dollars, if I do these things, I'm expecting God to give back to me somehow. And when God doesn't do that, he's not delivering the goods. And then my faith is made a mess because I've distorted who God is and I've distorted the word. In verse 2 of Hebrews 11, it said, For by it being faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. God commends their faith, and their names are recorded for all of eternity. But you know what's interesting with each one of these folks? They're all sinful people just like you and I. They all came short of the glory of God, but they all just took steps of faith as God instructed, and God now commends their faith and records it for all of history. And as I mentioned earlier, many of them, their lives... Uh, it wasn't a good, it wasn't good from our perspective. Put it out on an eternal perspective in an obedience to God and glorifying God with their lives and actions, that makes all the sense in the world. Measured in an earthly short-term sense, not so much. In verse 3, it says, By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. I love this section because none of us were there for the creation of the world. Matter of fact, nobody was. We are all living now in this world that exists, and based on this existence of world and believing and understanding that God created the, the world we now live in, gives me then the evidence that God has created another world I cannot see. So the very fact that I'm living in the presence of this one gives credence to the fact that God's created another one according to his words. So I can stand in that evidence with that reality. In Colossians chapter 1, we know in Genesis 1, and we affirm that God, in the beginning, God created, but Colossians 1 teaches the same, for by him all things were created that are in heaven that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, and all things were created through him and for him, and he's before all things, and in him all things consist. Now, if I was going to attack this thought process, you just analyze why would the devil want so badly to distort the concept of creation and rob this away from humanity? Because if somehow our existence is purely happenstance because of some cataclysmic cosmic event and that somehow we have evolved out of dust and it shaped thin the planets and somehow I'm on the same level as poison ivy because we've all evolved out of the same dust. If that becomes the construct of my mind and faith then is, is that, then I have nothing to ever anticipate looking forward to for sure because I've removed God from the equation as the master designer and plan. So there's really no way I could ever believe that God has another home for me or another realm for me that would be any good because I've taken God out of the equation of the past. I have nothing to base for the future. But here's what God does. God gives us this evidence of creation and 
And we obviously appreciate the scientific world, which I, I appreciate science. If you understand what science is supposed to be, it's simply the systematic study of structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. So what does science do? It discovers that which is already existing. How does it work and how do we, how do we interact with it? Okay, well, how does this go? through observation and experiment as well, so it becomes observable and repeatable. See, the challenge is, is when we're dealing with how did this whole thing begin, you take God out of the equation and you have a singular um, cataclysmic event that caused everything to get in order, well, that's not repeatable. So now, the, at best case, it could become a theory that we're going to have to build as a fact structure from there forward. But God doesn't do it that way because God we, we know is the creator and then he puts his signature on creation so that we're not blindly having to walk through this and feeling like we're on our heels when we're in the science world. We hear things like, well, the law of thermodynamics is like, oh well, man, God never thought of that. Well, actually he did because it's simply, what is the law of thermodynamics? The conservation of mass and energy. Even science would agree that nothing is being created at this time. Matter is never lost in time and space, but time and space will continue. Well, that's exactly what the scripture teaches, that God ended his work of that which he had made. Well, then you end up in this law of increasing disorder. That means... Without the loss of mass and energy, there's continuous breakdown. Things are always going into chaos and disorder. The scripture affirms this. Long before science could affirm this, scripture already did. This disorder entered in in Genesis chapter 3, and we realize the, ca the chaos that entered into the world at that point when sin entered into the world. So then you get all the way to the book of Romans. New Testament says that the entire world, the earth, groans awaiting redemption. So it's in disorder getting worse, not better. Which is why God will create then a new heaven and new earth. This one's been corrupted with sin and God will create a new one that won't be. Well, let's just pick the simple stuff from science class. How about hydrology? I always like that one. The water cycle. Do you realize that was discovered in the 17th century? Great discovery, evaporation, transportation of it, precipitation, all these things that we like to talk about every week. How was the weather? Do you realize in Ecclesiastes describes the fact that the, the rivers all run to the sea, but the sea is never full? How's that an option? In the book of Job describes the condensation and evaporation process the oldest book in the Bible that predates the Pentateuch, Genesis through Deuteronomy, is the book of Job. And God gives Job science class. Repeated in chapters. In Job chapter 36, he said, he, he draws up drops of water which distills as rain from the mist, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. There's your evaporation and distribution cycle. Even astronomy, 17th century, Galileo grabs hold of the, makes, gets this telescope thing working. Previous to him, a thousand stars could easily be counted. After him, billions. 
The stars were innumerable, only affirming what the scripture taught in Jeremiah 33 that says the host of heaven cannot be counted. Science now determined that all the stars differ from each other. Yeah, well, so did 1 Corinthians 15, that one glory for the moon, another for the stars, and one stars differ from another in glory. So it's only affirming what the scripture has already stated. In Job chapter 38, I love this because it says, can you bind the clusters of ladies or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Maseroth in its season? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? What is he describing? Constellations by name. Now these get renamed or used in a different sense. Greek mythology grabs hold of Orion and now declares that he was the Greek mighty hunter. Guys, the Greek empire didn't come into existence till between the Old and New Testament. This is talking in the book of Job before the book of Genesis was even written. Job was already there. And so God's bringing science class to the idea of the constellations. Greek mythology ripped out of this as well. This, this whole concept of the Maseroth, that's where your horoscopes come from and your, um, those 12, the 12 animals. What are those called? I just totally lost my, what are those things called? Not your horoscope. It's the animal guys. You're not into this, I can tell. <laughs> zodiac. Boom, there it is, the Zodiac. It's the Zodiac because it's how the sun passes through these different spheres and all these things. What? Well, this is all borrowed in, in the Greek time frame. But this already existed. Why do I say all this stuff? It's not to bore you with this information, I hope. It's to help us to see the Scripture is the very foundational base of our entire faith structure and you don't have to operate on your heels when it comes to the scientific community. No, science is just affirming all along what God's already done. And we're now able to see it and understand it even better, which is cool. That when the, liar, the lies come and try to tell you that the Bible is unreliable, well, that's not true. You'd have to sell out Jesus to say that Jesus is then unreliable because he called it Scripture. Excuse me, he called it Scripture. That our entire faith, faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Every single one of us today as a Christ follower, you've placed your faith, that gift that God gave to you, you've placed it in Jesus Christ the Savior. Believing that He is the Son of God, that he, as God, died on that cross 2,000 years ago to pay your sin debt, and that he rose again from the grave alive, yet not a person in this room has ever seen him or could be an eyewitness of that account physically. And yet by the transformed life and the peace that passes understanding and the joy that's unspeakable and full of glory and the confidence that comes to your soul. And those of you that became a Christ follower know exactly what it's like when you confess your, your sin before the Lord and ask him to forgive you and he, and he saves you. And you know that weight of sin and burden that comes off of you when you know that you have eternal life and that confidence that comes with that. Yeah, that's, that only comes in Christ. But the only way we know that is through the scripture. And so here's the deal. All these heroes of the faith we're going to study, they all took one step of faith forward, believing what the Word of God said. They had no idea how this was going to pan out in their next step, 
They couldn't see it. They were in pursuit of an invisible city that they did not obtain until their life was over. And guys, this is the challenge for all of us. There's steps that we all need to take. Your life every day is a journey. There's a step of faith that God is calling you unto today. What is it? It's maybe in the little things. It's the conversation to have. It's the withholding the words that I shouldn't say. It's to bow my head and pray for someone in great need. It's to meet a need. It's to take a step of baptism to publicly profess my faith. It's to engage in a ministry that maybe God's been leading your heart and provoking you about. It's to engage into the Word of God, and it may be in a group sense, in discipleship or in a small group study where now you can learn the Word with others and, and be, be trained in the Scriptures so that your faith is consistently being built stronger and stronger in your confidence in the Word. There's a step of faith for every person in this room, and possibly the first step of faith you need to take today is the step of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation and that's the one that changes your entire trajectory for all of eternity. And maybe that's the step you need to take.